The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Well, happy Thursday, everybody. You're watching Squawkbox with Karen Cho, Jeff Cutmore and myself, Steve Sedgwick. And these are your headlines. Italy plunged into political chaos yet again as the former Premier Matteo Renzi pulls the plug on the government, removing his party's ministers from the ruling coalition. This is a fundamental point. We don't mess around with institutions. Democracy is not a reality TV show. Donald Trump becomes the first president in American history to be impeached not once, but twice as members of his own party join Democrats and turn against him. China's trade data comes in hot, topping expectations and another sign global demand is picking up, with exports rising 18.1% last month compared to the same time a year ago. Another policy twist from the US gives Barber, Tencent and Baidu a boost as the Treasury reportedly blocks plans to blacklist some of China's biggest tech names. France's finance minister tells the Canadian retailer Couchetard to shelve their bid. This as the company offers a 16.2 billion euro takeover of Carrefour. Bruno Le Maire warning the deal will put French food sovereignty at risk. Um, we have an, an army of producers and graphic designers putting this show together. So I just want to shout out, first of all, to our graphic design people who put it together an amazing wall to show you just what's going on. And if they, you can tell anyone what's going on in political chaos, well, hopefully this wall will help you because Italy is extraordinary. It's a country I love with all my heart. I've been to twice last year, once professionally, once personally as well. Uh, but I'm afraid this country remains in a constant struggle, and, and this shows the struggle we're seeing. So the Italia Viva leader, Italia Viva, you may not have heard of this party, it's a smallish, newish party, but it is led by one of the, the big beasts of Italian politics, and that is that gentleman over, I'll just show him very briefly, I'm sorry, this is Matteo Renzi, a man who at one stage had the whole of Italian politics in his palm, but now he's a slightly more peripheral figure in terms of the votes he's got, but a very important player, as you will see for the following reasons. He's pulled his party, which is this little one here, Italia Viva, he's pulled them out of the Italian government. It has deprived his former coalition partners, and his former party as well, because he used to be part of the PD, of a parliamentary majority. Now, the Prime Minister, there's this handsome chap behind me, this is Matteo Conte and his remaining allies, and I'll just, oh, big pardon, just Conte, yes. Mr. Conte and his remaining allies must now negotiate a new coalition. The problem is, and I just want to show this, well, really tricky for the left stroke centre left to play with these taps here. The Lega, Forza Italia and Fratelli d'Italia. For all kinds of reasons, they are not seen as palatable partners uh, for any new coalition, potentially. Now, it may prompt a cabinet reshuffle that could see the Prime Minister, Giuseppe Conti, lose his job uh, should the talks fail. Now, Italy's President Sergio Mattarella will look to form a unity government, potentially to dispense EU relief funds. And this is part of the problems for Mr. Renzi and why he apparently has pulled his ministers out. If that doesn't work, the country will head to the polls. Think about that. Heading to the polls, 
two years ahead of schedule, for instance, as well. But amidst this enormous pandemic, it is a problematic solution at the best of times, let alone in current times. Now, Mr. Renzi's decision to destabilise the government during the pandemic has met with a sharp rebuke. However, uh, Italia Viva leader, which is him, Mr. Renzi, insisted the virus cannot stifle democracy. Those who want to stop the democratic machine in the name of the pandemic are not stopping the pandemic, they're stopping freedom. They're not stopping the virus, they're stopping politics. They're not stopping contagion, they're stopping democracy. To all those who ask, how is it possible to open a crisis during a pandemic? We answer, we don't want to open a crisis and we are so free that we resign. Renzi also doubled down on his criticism of the actual Prime Minister, Giuseppe Conte, uh, blasting his pandemic spending plans and accusing him of timidity. Giving constantly to the same extraordinary commissioner all the spending duties linked to the pandemic, the weakness of the condemnation for what happened in Washington and the instigator, are a hit to the democratic rules. We ask for the respect of these democratic rules. Let's put this in some form of context as well. Europe has been on the up versus the dollar, hasn't it? Europe has found itself as a destination for inflows of assets, of inflows for people looking at the, the trade compared with US equities, which seen overpriced, or the dollar itself, which has been under a lot of pressure. And as such, the euro was knocking on the door of 123 uh, only the last couple of days. But now, look, we're 121.50 as well. Uh, and I, just to, and one more tiny bit of context, and I'll show you the European yields as well uh, while we're doing this as well. Italy felt after the successful budget negotiations last year at the European Commission and after the coronavirus bill uh, and, and the relief fund, the 750 billion euros, got through as well, Italy thought it was back. It thought it was back at the centre of Europe. And I spoke to Mr Gentiloni, the European Commissioner, about this very issue as well and others. Now Italy is performing its old role uh, of being a chaotic part uh, of what is a disjointed union in many ways as well. And here you can see the Italian 10 years still trading 0.56 though. Now, my great friend, who's someone I've spent a lot of time with in Italy over the years, is Claudia Pensotti, and she joins us now to add uh, a lot more detail onto the story. Claudia, please tell me it's not back to the old normal. Well, Steve, uh, unfortunately, uh, I, it, it may be that we may be back to the old normal now, at least in part, or at least uh, that's what Renzi uh, seems to be more playing on in the sense that as you laid out very clearly with the, all those amazing uh, graphics that I just saw, uh, you, you, you know, you sort of went through what I was going to say initially, was, which was try to explain what is behind, uh, you know, all of this uh, majority that right now is governing Italy. And what it is, is is kind of an odd uh, coalition, as you were noting now. It's with the PD, the Five Star Movement, who, you know, just a little over a year ago were, you know, on opposite sides of the table. Now, Renzi's playing a role within this because he sort of gives them the strong majority. His party has, but maybe even a, doesn't quite reach the 3%. Uh, what it seems like is that he's playing on this to try and gain more political strength because, uh, it uh, is highly unlikely, but not impossible at this point. It seems that nothing is impossible in Italian politics, but highly unlikely that uh, you end up going to a vote. If he were to go to a vote, of course, Renzi's party uh, would not be successful. So he is seeming to be playing on the fact that he can try and gain more power and have more influence within this majority. Because at this point, what are the options that Conte has here? Uh, one is, road is to keep the coalition as it is, to try to get approval in parliament for decisions, you know, one after the other. But Mattarella uh, doesn't really want that. He wants a strong 
secure majority. So that is a, a more difficult option. The other options include Renzi, which is to keep the coalition as it is, find a new equilibrium with Renzi, giving him more weight, uh, maybe in terms of more ministers. Uh, another is to keep uh, uh, Renzi, uh, keep the coalition as it is, but, you know, have sort of the more electoral p- purpose, you know, sort of a specific uh, purpose that they need to carry out. Another option is to keep the coalition, but don't keep the prime minister, which is sort of where uh, Renzi is really playing uh, hard. That's where it seems that he is really, you know, sort of the, the, the important point seems to be Conte. It seems to be more of an issue with Conte, the man, rather than the coalition as a whole. Uh, when this whole crisis began, as you were saying, he put it more on the issues that were regarding the next generation EU funds and how they were being spent, how Conte's government was planning on spending them, seeing them more as uh, spending money rather than investing. And too little for the younger Italians, too little on education, too little on health. But Conte sat down with him and gave him what he wanted from that standpoint. So the fact that the crisis kept going anyway, even though on the next generation, which was voted in Parliament and is going forward, uh, you know, it gives you the idea that this is more of a personal battle with Conte. So at this point, you know, anything could happen in Rome this morning because uh, of the chaotic situation that we did see yesterday. The, you know, the press conference that you were, uh, you know, just showed bites of with uh, uh, Renzi's statements. Uh, anything really could happen here today. So it's going to be a very difficult couple of days. Italians are not happy with that. You know, polls, opinion polls here, the most recent ones show that more than 70% of Italians support this government or actually don't want elections. Uh, so they are frustrated. They are, you know, scared of what's going on. Remember, Italy was the first country in the West to be hit by this pandemic. So we are close to a year of lockdowns. Our lockdowns are serious lockdowns and have been for most part of this year. We have a 10 p.m. curfew. Uh, you have, uh, you know, restaurants are closed. Oh, I, I think we got to move on, but I, I, I hear you and I'm with you, and, and I just pray that things will get better on both fronts, on the political and indeed on the uh, pandemic front as well. Um, you and I will talk a lot about this over the coming weeks, months, years. So uh, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us so early today. Let's move on. We'll get one more voice on this. Francesco Galietti is the co-founder and CEO of a Policy Sonar. Francesco, I'm going to ask you brutally the question: Is this about Renzi's personal ambition, or is it seriously about big questions that he has? Uh, about the government policy at the moment? It's a combination of both. Thank you for hosting me first. Uh, I think that uh, Renzi is going for the jugular of Conte now because he senses that the EU is no longer backing Conte. Okay, so uh, he senses that there is a great sense of disappointment vis-a-vis Rome and its handling of the EU recovery funds, uh, a wasted opportunity, in particular from the standpoint of Germans, and, and Renzi wants to use to leverage this, and that's why he's going for Conte's jugular now. And if you if you uh, look at this from the perspective of Conte, well, it's not a nice uh, a position you find yourself in. Um, Conte can either go extinct politically, or well, he's at risk of finding himself in a state of political paraplegia. So alive, but that's an awful. That's that's a very miserable life. Francesco, um, Claudia was talking about uh, other options for this government at this point. Is there any way that the current administration can be saved by 
perhaps a reshuffle or uh, maybe the um, uh, movement of the chairs and the forming of a new coalition without having to go back to the electorate? Yes, it all boils down which a ruling majority is backing the cabinet. If we keep the current uh, uh, coalition, which is centre-left and five stars, uh, then a reshuffle could be enough, but it must be substantial. Um, so not just a tiny phase lifting. Uh, and, and I would say that Conte's position is very hard to keep as is. Um, and so everyone keeps pretending this is not personal. It is personal. Um, so the, the chances of Conte to survive are not very high uh, because, because Renzi is really pushing him. That there is another a possibility that we end up with a different ruling majority. So that instead of this narrow center-left five-stars majority, uh, the majority opens up and we end up with a, a national unity majority. So like more cross-partisan. Uh, in which case, uh, many other uh, solutions can be envisaged, including senior technocrats brought into the cabinet. That's when you start dreaming of Mario Draghi as Minister of Finance or Prime Minister. Francesco, just to get a sense of how far Matteo Renzo can push this agenda, let's just get into the background here. I mean, he did miscalculate back in 2016 over constitutional reform. And we're just hearing from our colleague Claudia that uh, there's not widespread approval for uh, bringing down the government in the middle of a pandemic. Is Renzi miscalculating again? And just how far could he drive forward this agenda? No, I don't think that this I think that he got the time right this time. Uh, the, I think that elections are not an option, um, and, and so the risk of facing the wrath of Italians is pretty remote. And that is because in the in mechanics of elections, the decision to dissolve parliament and call new elections rests solely with the Italian head of state. And we know what Mattarella uh, uh, thinks about elections. There's no way he will ever take the country to elections uh, right now. Um, so I think that uh, time-wise, this time, uh, uh, Renzi is okay. Uh, yeah, there, there will be no elections. Uh, there is great disappointment of the EU, of the Commission, of uh, the larger uh, uh, member states vis-a-vis -vis, uh, Rome for how it is handling uh, EU funds. Uh, it is chaotic, randomic. There is absolutely no planning. And, 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 and that's why Renzi decided to go for it now. I want to ask you about uh, old faces that are um, considered market friendly. You just mentioned Mario Draghi coming back into the mix. You know, what we're dealing with here is whether the situation unravels further and we've got uh, further policy risk around Italy again or whether the, the market is somewhat calmed by an old face coming into politics. And what do you make of, of the rival scenarios here if Mario Draghi were to enter the equation? Surely uh, the market would see that as a, a very positive manoeuvre. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I think markets want a market-friendly solution. So the current cabinet is not exactly market-friendly. Uh, yes, it keeps the populists at bay. Um, so this is uh, the, the, the current cabinet uh, gives you, uh, provides you with a, a robust alternative to, say, Salvini or Meloni. Okay, so but but there are much uh, friendlier market solutions, and so the one I mentioned is probably 
the market friendliest solutions or government of national unity. The, uh, all parties realizing that this is not the time uh, to uh, engage in disputes, but to, to face united this unprecedented crisis. And of course, that's when, when you bring in the, uh, the big guns, because the, one of the issues we have with the current cabinet, it is populated with political lightweights. You can tell uh, that the parties uh, were reluctant to deploy uh, their VIPs. Um, and so what we need here is more weight, whether it's political weight or whether it's technical uh, gravitas, we need more of that. Uh, the, the, this is a completely unprecedented situation. Well, let me ask you, um, you started off uh, your first answer talking about how there was a sense that Conte was losing support within the EU. Can I just pick up on that as we wrap up with you? Given the chaos we now see in the government, what ultimately does that mean for the disbursement of the recovery plan from EU funds? Well, first of all, there was a statement uh, by Ursula von der Leyen uh, dated uh, January 8th. So we're speaking a week ago. Ursula von der Leyen was asked by Italian journalists, um, is Italy at risk of losing the funds if Conte is booted out? And the answer is another government would not make a difference. Okay, so that's not a defense of Conte, clearly. It's a Pontius Pilatus kind of answer. And the second one is, uh, well, the recovery fund. The recovery fund, uh, we, we've, we've seen many drafts of the recovery plan, uh, which is the document that lays out in details how the funds are allocated. And there have been fundamental changes in the drafts. Uh, it was initially, it looked very, very generic. There was no sense of strategic priorities at all. And so, um, we have to think of how all this money originates. It originates with euro bonds. We have to leave it there. Thank you so much indeed for your time and getting up nice and early to speak to us. Uh, we've learned a lot, sir. Thank Francesco you. Galietti, who is co-founder and CEO of Policy Sonar. Well, former Italian Prime Minister Enrico Letta will be joining us for an interview starting at 8 Central European time. And coming up on the programme... President Trump becomes the first president in history to be impeached twice, this time with bipartisan support. Find out which GOP lawmakers supported the move in just a moment. We'll be right back. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back, everybody. So Donald Trump has become the first U.S. president in history to be impeached twice. 
this after House of uh, Representatives voting uh, moved 232 to 197 in favour, a move that was backed by 10 GOP lawmakers. The chamber charged Trump with high crimes and misdemeanours for his role in inciting the violent riot scene on Capitol Hill last week. Now, House Majority Speaker Nancy Pelosi described the president as, quote, a clear and present danger, but said lawmakers had shown unity. Today, in a bipartisan way, the House demonstrated that no one is above the law, not even the president of the United States. The Senate uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has told Republican colleagues he has yet to decide whether he will vote to convict President Trump. It is a significant move from the most senior GOP member in the Senate amid growing rifts in the party over the president's conduct ahead of the riots. McConnell has ruled out reconvening the Senate ahead of Joe Biden's inauguration on January the 20th, meaning any impeachment proceedings would take place in the early weeks of Joe Biden's presidency. Well, the US leader has uh, condemned the violence on Capitol Hill one week after rioters stormed the building. Trump made the comments in a pre-recorded message made without any press present and posted by the White House's official Twitter account. But he did not take any responsibility for the attack. There is never a justification for violence. No excuses, no exceptions. America is a nation of laws. Those who engaged in the attacks last week will be brought to justice. Now I am asking everyone who has ever believed in our agenda to be thinking of ways to ease tensions, calm tempers, and help to promote peace in our country. Well, let's welcome to the program Andra Gillespie, uh, Professor of Political Science at uh, Emory University. Um, Welcome to the program, Professor. I note in your uh, bio that you worked as an analyst for the Democratic pollster, Mark Melman. Does that give us a sense of your uh, political leanings, just to be clear for our audience? Uh, I mean, well, it's true that I did work for a Democratic pollster more than 15 years ago. When I talk, I try to talk from a nonpartisan standpoint, though. Terrific. Okay. well, let me start by asking you, Mitch McConnell seems to be in no hurry to call the Senate back for uh, an impeachment vote. Is there uh, any prospect here that as we get past the inauguration and the political machine begins to focus on the new presidency, that actually we begin to see uh, GOP senators retreat away from uh, a desire to impeach uh, President Trump? Well, you know, it's not clear at this point that there are 67 votes to convict uh, President Trump when he does come up for trial in the U.S. Senate. Uh, Keep in mind that by uh, waiting to uh, uh, bring up an impeachment until after the 19th, that's starting to get closer and closer to the day that Mitch McConnell is no longer a Senate majority leader because the two Georgia senators will be seated uh, and Kamala Harris will, you know, be vice president of the United States and so would be able to play a tie breaking vote. So this is largely going to be managed by Majority Leader Chuck Schumer um, at that point. 
Um, you know, I think the fact that there are Republicans, one, who've said that they would vote to commit over and above Mitt Romney, and that there are Republican senators like McConnell and Ben Sass who said they are open uh, to uh, to the trial because they do see evidence of, you know, in, in McConnell's case of uh, Trump having committed an impeachable offense, I think are going to be really important. And I think the other big thing is that if there are 67 votes to convict, uh, you know, it's a question of, you know, will uh, the moderate... Uh, Democrats also go along with, uh, you know, trying to uh, disqualify President Trump from future service, which is one of the Democratic aims and actually going for impeachment at this point. So it's not removal because he will serve out his full term, but it is whether or not he would be uh, prevented from holding future office again. Since the storming of the Capitol building, we've had uh, several statements from President Trump but nothing that looks like a fulsome apology or a taking of responsibility at this stage. How do you think the comments that we're hearing from the president are affecting the uh, decisions that will be made around the impeachment in the Senate? Is he having any impact on the way senators are thinking about an impeachment vote? Um, you know, I'm not sure that he is having much of an effect at all. His statements uh, have usually been too little too late. Um, and I think his comments today, one, do reflect the temperament where he is reluctant to take responsibility um, for what he did. And then two, uh, you know, it also may be strategic that especially now that he is coming up for trial, he might want to limit his exposure uh, by, you know, not making an outright admission um, of guilt, because that could also be, you know, uh, you know, pretty troubling uh, within the context of, of a Senate trial um, and also legally outside of, 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 of what's happening as well. So, uh, yeah, there's nothing in what President Trump has said that I think, you know, really does kind of shift the tone. I think the larger question is whether or not people who may still be planning attacks would stand down because President Trump asked them to, both on that tape and then also in a text message that he sent to anybody who signed up to receive those campaign text messages. Professor, there's a lot of political angling here to make sure the president cannot run in 2024. And if you look at uh, various responses across the board from some Republicans just passing off Trump's actions as a merely fiery speech that's been given, that it's a witch hunt that's been carried out at this point versus much serious actions that we've seen around uh, incitement of uh, insurrection, this impeachment that's been passed. Do you think Trump at this stage, even if we do not progress on impeachment through to the Senate from here, do you think Trump is damaged? goods and rules out his chances in 2024 already? Um, you know, he's certainly not in as strong a position as he was before this riot took place last Wednesday. But the fact that he still has that many that? supporters, so the fact that after the riot, okay. you still had members of Congress who were willing to object to the election results after having, you know, been, you know, holed up in their office and having been forced to shelter in place. And the fact that even as we have debated impeachment today, we have seen members of Congress get on the floor and come to his defense. You know, that is still evidence of uh, the sustaining power of, of Trumpism. And so he might not have Twitter or Facebook, but, you know, there will still be people who may very much still follow him. And so I think we still have to wait uh, to see, uh, you know, whether or not the damage that he's inflicted on himself and on our country this week, uh, you know, still persists. And in particular, whether or not he has staying power as a as a surrogate, as somebody who can endorse other people. Yeah, there, but, uh, uh, 
Republicans are still behaving as though he's, he's still very powerful. Yes, yeah, Sam and Professor, I find this fascinating. And Liz Cheney went early on this one as well, given her aspirations perhaps for higher office at a later state. But the, the, the president has called so many Republicans rhinos, Republicans in name only over the years. I've lost track. There's dozens of them as well. But is there a possibility that the likes of McConnell and Cheney and others now are beginning to look at Mr. Trump as the rhino, actually, and taking back the soul of the Republican Party? Um, so, you know, I would put McConnell and Cheney in, 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 in different categories at this point. So we'll have to wait to see uh, how Senator McConnell ultimately votes. Uh, but I mean, I think people like Liz Cheney, people like Mitt Romney, people who have consistently been willing to come out publicly and oppose the president, um, even if it's not on every issue, because there are things that they agree with him on. You know, there are there's certainly rumblings within that that wing of the Republican Party to try to reclaim the soul of the party. Um, I think that it's still an uphill climb and that there's still going to be a lot of soul searching and that there's still going to be a lot of people who, you know, are going to continue to carry uh, Trump's torch for him even after he's removed from office, you know, by the date. And then also, you know, if there is an impeachment conviction. Professor, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble now. I've been told to wrap. But 10 seconds on the history that was made in Atlanta last week rather than the history in D.C.? Um, so, I mean, it was remarkable. We saw a multiracial coalition come again to elect John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock uh, to the U.S. Senate. Um, and we attribute that to a really strong get out the vote effort that was targeted at minority communities to make sure that they showed up to vote this time. Yeah, look, um, please come back and speak to us again soon. I think it just gets more and more fascinating as days go on. Uh, Andrew Gillespie, professor of political science at Emory University. Thank you very much indeed. Right, Karen. Yesterday, uh, as you can see, uh, the Dow just coming off a little bit uh, by the end of the trading session. A lot of oscillation is what we witness intraday, but just worth noting now with what we've seen now over the course of the week, about a tenth of a percent off the Dow so far. It is on pace to break a four-week winning streak if we continue on this vein into the weekend. So the markets at this stage just a little bit cautious, as you can see, very much eyeing what Biden will flesh out in his stimulus package later on. The market's also cautious around this impeachment here you can see that in the trade yesterday intraday and the markets of course are watching very closely the rollout of the vaccine and reports across the United States about access to doses just causing a little bit of caution because getting back into a stronger economic picture does require that vaccine rollout to happen swiftly so the market just contending with a number of themes but you can see technology one of the stronger players on the market in fact it was Apple having the most positive impact if you can take a look at those tech stocks uh, you can also see that social media had a slight recovery in the trade yesterday after a couple of days losses on fears of tighter regulation. Just a modest improvement for Facebook and Twitter versus uh, much stronger gains, as you can see, for Apple, 1.6% in the green. A quick look at Intel, one of the better performing stocks as the uh, CEO, Bob Swan, uh, stepped down. He will be replaced by VMware's CEO, Pat Gelsinger, next month. Uh, that was uh, one of the strongest trades we saw out there in the tech space in particular, a pop near on 7%. A quick look at Treasuries and uh, how we've been perched. Uh, you can see 1.11%. The market cautiously keeping an eye on what we are witnessing from the Democrats and there's been uh, again further potential we've seen in the trade in the last 24 hours for that yield to, to lift and uh, for treasuries to sell off. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.